0: Well, we thank everybody for joining us for another episode of No Driving Gloves this evening. Damn phone alarm. We started 15 <laughs> minutes early.
1: <laughs> Just a friendly reminder to start the podcast. <laughs>
0: Right along for another exciting episode of No Driving Gloves, where Derek, John, and Will will use over 75 years combined industry knowledge to bring you a bare-knuckled view on the collector car hobby. So let's get rolling. Well, we thank everybody for joining us again for another episode of No Driving Gloves. Well, everybody but Will. Unfortunately, Will self-employed, and as we've said before, being self-employed causes you to sometimes not do the fun things in life. So this evening, Will is stepped out, and this is our, I guess, where there's no Will. There's still a way podcast. We have Derek. How are you doing tonight, Derek?
1: I'm doing fantastic, John.
0: And we brought in a guest host this evening, uh, Sean Yoder. Done some interesting things throughout his life. Uh, we all know that Derek and I and Will have boring car friends. Uh, Sean's been an instructor with the Porsche Sport Driving School program. He's done uh, product representation and uh, driving instruction with the SRT Driving Experiences, uh, a couple other manufacturers. He can go ahead and kind of give you his resume. I think right now doing some electric go-kart stuff, he's now managing or doing marketing for a simulator company, and he also has his own radio show uh, locally here in the Birmingham area.
2: Yeah, I need more to do, right? I definitely need about 12 more jobs. Um, if anybody's hiring and needs somebody that has, has spent their entire life playing with cars, or motorcycles for that matter, um, I'm your guy. Uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on, John. Really appreciate it. Great to meet you, Derek. And I'm uh, looking forward to, to digging in. That's, if anybody's got any questions about my background, just, I'm a car junkie. That's really all you need to know. I, cars are my life. I've had way too many of them.
0: Well, I think we're we're all kind of guilty of that. At least you and I, Sean, kind of sell off some of them. Derek has a a little collection, a little dealership at his house, I believe.
1: Hey, hey, hey! hey. I I sold off the Pontiac Solstice to get the Peerless. Okay, I've I've sold one in my life.
2: Did you have a? Was it a convertible Solstice or a hard top? Yeah, uh, two
1: thousand six uh, Pontiac Solstice convertible. Yep.
2: Okay, I I knew somebody that had a hard top. I really wish that I would have been able to pull the trigger when they got rid of it, because that's a cool car.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I'm not a fan of the hard hardtops. Um, the blind spots in them are, in, I mean, just incredibly bad. I, I drove one of the pre-production uh, prototypes up when I worked at Henry Ford Museum. You just could not, I mean, I, I guess as long as you're only worried about going forward, which most of us are, I mean, you know, especially in sports cars, but if you ever have to back up, it it's just horrible to see out of those things.
2: Are we talking new Camaro bad, or are we talking even worse? Than
1: that? <laughs> um, wow, that's a good question.
2: Because um, <laughs> new Camaro pretty, bad is about as bad as I've ever found.
1: Well, you yeah,
0: do I realize mean, pretty, we're, pretty ta- <laughs> we're talking about General Motors. They're always forward-focused. They never look in the mirror for any reason whatsoever.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't if mom my mom always said if I don't have anything good to say and then there was dead air. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's that's how I feel about that.
0: Well there we are, evenly picking on everybody. Not really. No, you're right. We we somehow Camaros always are the brunt of our jokes and me, I support the mullet, so it just doesn't make make any I, sense.
2: I wanted a new Camaro. I don't know how we've gotten on this topic, but I really, my first car was a 69 Camaro. When they announced the retro Camaro, I had basically, my wife was already resigned to the fact that I was going to get one. It was going to happen. And then I went and drove one. And I sat down in the thing and was like, nope. <laughs> just
0: like Can't do it. Uh, I kind of did that with the Lotus Elise also, but I'm also going to go in and put a little bit of a long pause there, and I'm going to do a sample of a mullet, because that's how that whole sentence began, and then you paused, and I was ready to say mullet, and then you said Camaro, so. I had a mullet for a while, but I, pr- a I proudly had one. I even had a permed mullet, much to the
1: girlfriend's disgust the other night, and then I said, yeah, yeah, I even had that permed, and wow. I have never even had enough hair to have a mullet.
2: Mine really wasn't a mullet. Mine was like... <laughs> all of my hair was long when I was younger. And my ute.
0: Another encouragement for our internet follower contest for the uh, six-speed pen, which a lot of people did point out to me is really a five-speed pen, which we discussed. But we will have a picture of me and my mullet on Instagram sometime in the coming week. But now that we've, we've kind of talked about Camaros and that and the new vehicles, I think this evening's topic... I saw an ad from a certain motor company this week. won't be able to repost the ad because I'm sure they'll ask me to take that down. It really irked me in that it's, again, encouraging some of the new driver safety aids, which are nice, but they take the driver out of driving. And to me, this, this ad, all it did is screamed, look at what you can do in our car for not much money and drive as distracted as you want. This goes everything from, you know, and we'll probably touch on airbags to uh, lane tracking devices, backup cameras, these items that we keep getting added and added to the cars to, in my opinion, make driving easier, but it also causes the driver to have to have less attention on operating these 4,000 pound bullets that are going down the road at 60, 70, 80, 90 miles an hour because they drive they drive no different at 90 than they do at 50 to most people. Oh, I got control. I'm just fine. And I have no disagreement. They drive just fine at 90 until something goes wrong. And then you're not paying enough attention. The driver's aid won't catch you, etc. And, you know, it can go anywhere from traction control to, like I said, lane tracking, the auto braking systems, the proximity cruise control systems. Well, we might get to self-driving cars, but that's a whole different technology. Where this really started to come on on my radar was back with the Ford Explorers and their tire issues, which Ford proved time and time again was a tire that was not made to the specifications Ford wanted. And because of that, and then owner inattentiveness to tire pressures caused the blowouts and unfortunately some tragic deaths with Ford Explorers and rollover accidents. And now today, every car is sold with some sort of tire pressure indicating system so that we know our tires are low. And that means not that we put air in our tires, we know the tires low and we all drive around with a little orange light on our dashboard. What does that mean to us? That means we paid some of the numbers I looked at this week, anywhere between 150 and $225 a car more to have this tire system on our car. We pay more now to mount and balance our tires every time we get new tires on our cars. And is this a system really necessary when, when you're putting gas in your car or you're checking your vehicle out, walking around it ever, before every trip or at least once a week to make sure all of your lights work, since we all do that? You just quickly check your tire pressures and you know if you're good or not. But no, we've got to have a light on our dashboard. And then you go, oh, I got run flat tires. It doesn't matter. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And three months later, you're still driving around with this low tire pressure indicator. And the tire could very well be flat at that point, unless you happen to have a little bit nicer car that actually tells you the tire pressure. Any of you want to jump in there or I can babble and babble for
1: hours?
2: What you got, Derek? I've got plenty on deck. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you, Sean, you're our guest, the host, so go ahead and take it and I'll save my comments for after you're done.
2: No, it, it's I, I understand what you're what you're saying, John, as far as a lot of these these the newer driver aids that we're seeing coming into play. I know Mercedes has got Mercedes is always at the, the leading edge of whatever the new safety innovations are gonna be, and they've got They've got a drive pilot system that's that I believe will keep the car in its own lane up to around 80 miles an hour. They've got an active lane change assist which the FCA cars that I used to be involved with up until about a year ago, they kind of had that with their in their adaptive cruise system where when you if you had adaptive cruise on and you were setting the cruise at 75, the car in front of you is going 60 you hit the left uh, left turn signal, it would actually gas the car up and basically speed you up to get around the car that you were passing, kind of thing. And it, it took the element of having to get to the throttle on your own, out of out of the equation. There's the active brake assists, and there's evasive steering systems now on cars, and active blind spot assists, and all of that stuff, I think, in the right context, is great. The problem, I think, with, with these systems is... We aren't equipping young drivers fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year olds that are just getting their license, and I know you know, today there are a lot of younger younger adults that aren't getting their license until they're eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old, but we're not equipping them with the tools that they need in order to not drive distracted in order to get their eyes up and look where they want to go in order to you know not become part of that accident and avoid it because their eyes are up and they're looking 300 yards in front of the car and they see the accident happen well in front of them and they can avoid it. And then they don't know what to do with the systems that are being put in these cars in order to be able to avoid that accident. Like, I, I cannot tell you how many young driver development programs that I've done over 25 years of professional driving instruction Where not only the children, 15, 16-year-olds, don't know how to use an anti-lock brake system, their parents don't know how to use an anti-lock brake system. And the first time that I get into anti-lock brakes properly with these the parents and the kids in the car, the parents think I'm breaking the car. So you've got all of these systems coming together. If you knew how to use them, they would be great. But... No one cares. <laughs> like like the general public doesn't care. So it And they lean on them as crutches, not as assists. And if you look at the name of all of these systems, all of them say assist. None of them say crutch or it'll do it for you. It's supposed to be an assist, but it's not looked at that way. And that's what drives me crazy about this whole thing. And it does, to John's point, it does, I think, take the driver even further out of the loop because we don't train them properly to begin with. In red.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to jump in there, Sean, because I, I agree with you. I mean, one of my biggest personal issues right now is I really think most of the driver's training, driver's education programs that are offered in America, they lack of better word and, and hopefully not to offend too many people, but I know I'm going to offend some. We suck at it. I mean, we aren't our driver's education classes are really quite horrible, at least the ones we provide through, say, the schools, things like that. But if you pay for someone or pay to go to a class like um you know, probably Sean, like what you teach, or some of the high performance, you know driver's education classes that will teach you some of the you know techniques to use when you're driving, especially at higher speeds, um, which apply pretty well to your lower speeds. I mean, you know, it's it's all driving. You're not we're not training most Americans to know how to drive their vehicle. You know, we're we're basically just saying anymore, you know, driving is, is a right, not a privilege. Well it's 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 actually the other way around. Driving is a privilege. To, to get your driver's license and be able to drive a vehicle is really a privilege. It's it's not a guaranteed right. And until I think until we start educating people better in driving, these active assist controls and things are just gonna make things worse and worse. You know we're gonna wind up with people that just get in a car and they understand the aspa and the steering wheel the car needs for. them.
0: I'm right here at a fork in a road because I can either go back to the driver's aid problem or we can go to the driver's education problem. We've now brought. Both issues into this conversation, and I don't know if in 60 minutes we can cover both of those. I'm going to allude back to what Sean started with is all this wonderful technology in a Mercedes. And yes, the, uh, the young drivers don't know how to use it, but I've got the older experienced drivers that are multimillionaires that buy an S600, and I have been in the conversation where they say, well, you know what I do with that car? Because you can do this. I get in the car, I pull out of my driveway, I get up to about 70 miles an hour in the subdivision, and I set the cruise control. And then all I have to do is steer it all the way to work. And they, they don't do anything else. They've got the car set, so it'll go up to 70 miles an hour on their way into work. They can drive in rush hour traffic, they can drive in interstate traffic, they can drive through the subdivision. The car slows them down, speeds them up, does the lane changes, does everything they need it to do with very little input from them. Again, these driver assists, as Sean pointed out, allow for inattentive driving. It allows people to take advantage of these systems and let the cars, you know, they're they're wanting the self-driving autonomous car, which if any of you watch the History Channel show uh, something about America on Wheels or something it was a three-part miniseries. Their Cars Week in 2017. Mario Andretti was asked, "What do you think of autonomous cars?" And his response basically was, "He's dead." He's dead. Do what now? <laughs> or excuse me, I hope I'm dead. I hope. I'm, okay. Yeah, he, he hopes he's dead because he doesn't want the autonomous cars. We got to pause here. Derek lost me. Am I back, Derek? We lost Derek. Derek has some internet issues. Some.
2: I heard. Uh, Yeah, he was breaking up a little bit.
0: So that's where I look at, Sean, is the, uh, the, one of the problems with it is the experienced drivers are taking advantage of it. I'm going to try to shy away till maybe later in the program on the poor driver's education program we have in this country, because I have my own theory on how we should do driver's education and how we should do licensing etc. So do
2: I. (laughs) So so do I. Uh, Definitely. Yeah, I have some strong opinions about that. And it's it's yeah, I mean, if if you want to keep going down the lane of of all of the the new innovations in driver safety, basically taking the driver further and further out of the loop, I think we can directly equate that to the rise of the autonomous vehicle or the the path towards the autonomous vehicle it's not hard to see all of the systems that we're talking about being integrated into an autonomous vehicle. And and I think that's why we're seeing them coming out and and trickling out faster and faster as the years go on, because we're, we're already at a technological level to where you could turn on the highest stage autonomy in some of these vehicles that are out there testing right now, and they'll drive themselves. They just haven't, I think the manufacturers just haven't uh, sorted out the liability issues, the morality issues that are involved with a car making decisions on its own, who's responsible for the issues that that happen as a result of a wreck that happens with that autonomous vehicle. But speaking to the distracted driving side of all of these safety aids, it's going to full autonomy. So I don't think you're going to see a manufacturer pull back from that just because all of these things that you're seeing on a car, whether it be adaptive cruise or lane assist or uh, assisted parking, or the list can go on and on and on. Those things are being implemented as test beds for when you don't have a steering wheel and pedal set in your car. I'm per- I'm terrified by that. I'm totally terrified by not having a steering wheel and pedal set in the car. Uh, but I I don't see it getting better. It's only going to get worse for those of us who actually like having our hands on the wheel and our feet on pedals. It's terrifying to me.
1: Yeah, Sean, uh, I I, I agree with you. It's almost scary to think where things are headed and, you know, the idea of not... I mean, even if you were to get comfortable with autonomous vehicles or any of these, you know, uh, driving assist uh, applications we have, I mean, we, we know from 40 plus years of computer technology that there are glitches there are crashes there are failures what is the backup you know if if you're going down the road and you don't have a pedal set and a steering wheel that if something glitches in the computer and it shuts down you just let the car go where it's gonna go, do what it's gonna do, or do you wanna have assurance that you can then retake over control of the vehicle and safely get your vehicle off the road and pull off to the side or do whatever you need to do to be able to essentially survive. And again, you know, that that again goes back to your comment on who's liable um when all this happens. But I think without that fail safe system of a steering wheel and a pedal set, I mean, just that fact, I'm very afraid of, you know, let alone we're, we're three car guys that love the actual experience of driving a car and actually knowing how to handle it and make it perform the way we want to. But just the fact that there's no fail safe system of manual control, that's that's scary to me as well, and I think that's uh, important point. You know that that you were talking about, and I think that I agree completely with.
2: Did either of you guys see last week where Ford filed a patent for a controlless cabin in a passenger car?
1: No, I hadn't seen yeah. that yet. Ford
2: actually last week they filed a patent for a controlless cabin, so they're 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 getting ready for that already. That may be you know 5 10 15 20 years down the line but they're they're going ahead and getting ready for it and within that patent they had a it was an ancillary steering wheel so a drive by wheel uh drive by wire steering wheel system that could be either taken on or off a spline in the dashboard and there would be an airbag behind the steering wheel system so if you didn't have the steering wheel in place there would be an airbag and if you put the steering wheel in place it defeats that airbag and then there's an airbag in the wheel and then the control set is actually all integrated in the wheel so you've got like gas and brake in the steering wheel so that led me to wonder can you pass that steering wheel from side to side like could you, could you literally give it to Left side of the car right side of the car, give it to someone in the back seat, let them you know let them drive for a little while or let them be the one responsible for the car for a little while, and then Ford doesn't have to then create left hand drive and right hand drive vehicles so i the whole thing is going in directions that at forty seven years old it's very hard for me to figure out
0: well when you get into modern automobiles anyway, when we can jump, you get on an air a uh, commercial jetliner. Not one thing in that cabin is connected to anything physically. It's all by right. wire, and it's all electronic. Right. You get into a car today, you virtually have... The last mechanical piece that DOT let go of was the steering column. There always had to be a physical connection between that wheel and the front wheels. And that's even... A, they've pretty much gotten rid of that, and it's electric. The brakes are based you know, a by wire system now. the th- You know, it began with the throttle by wire. So everything already is dependent on the computer. And I don't have a problem with that technology. What I have the problem goes into the driver, again, the driver training. The ad that I'm, you know, alluded to is the guy gets into the car, starts the car, starts talking to his passenger, puts it in reverse, doesn't, they don't ever depict him looking in a mirror, checking his mirror, even looking at the backup camera, which the vehicle has now because they're required by law because... We don't look backwards when we back up. I do understand blind spots and tailgates and things and I love my backup cameras. But where they're required by law as opposed to it being being an option, which is again has increased the base price of a car, which are already unaffordable for many. So he gets into the car, puts it in reverse, starts backing up and then the car beeps and lets him know somebody was back there and he, oops, I made a mistake and waits for the person to clear and then continues backing up and then he relies on his lane tracking system while he's conversing and eyes wandering and you know hands wandering to keep him in his lane and then when he comes up to a crosswalk or a stoplight he's not even paying attention for cross traffic or cross pedestrians he relies on the vehicle to stop it for him because the the vehicles are taking over these basic responsibilities and we talk about that what if the system fails? Well, what if the system fails Why somebody's in that crosswalk in front of him or the mom's pushing the baby stroller behind him? I I have the Bliss system on my Ford Edge Sport, which is their blind spot indication system, which is a little lights up in the mirror, a little orange light in the mirror. I don't 100% trust that. I usually still check my mirror and look backwards. Even, I'll even admit, not as attentively as I do when i remember i'm in a car that doesn't have a blind spot detection system i just kind of make sure that there's no silhouette or anything because when i'm merging onto the interstate like i do every morning it actually takes that system a second or two to find its bearings and let me know if there's somebody immediately next to me or somebody who's at a position to go on beyond me you have to learn how to work with the systems but I also find that I have the blind spot detection system in the car that I drive five days a week. But when I get into my base model Hyundai Velocitor or I get into our Mini Cooper or I hop in a, one of the company cars that does not have a blind spot detection system, I find myself going down the interstate, still glancing in the mirror. I don't have an orange light. So, oops, guess what I'm not doing? I'm not right. checking my mirror properly and it's making you lazy yeah exactly and that's what these systems have done they've taken a lot of the attentiveness out i mean i'm one who doesn't text while i drive i use bluetooth because all all of my cars do have a bluetooth system and i have an additional bluetooth headset if i'm in a vehicle that it's too inconvenient to connect to the bluetooth again a work car or something that i don't want to connect my phone to the bluetooth system and then have to erase it when i get back because god knows the boss will get in it and drive it while I'm uh, you know, talking bad about him on a phone call, and he'll start it, <laughs> and all of a sudden he'll be in on my conversation while I'm bad-mouthing something. It just drives me crazy that we've lost this defensiveness about driving. We've scared people so much that you can't... If you're a defensive driver, you're an aggressive driver. You have to... You just have to... I hope it's not a violation, but kind of pussyfoot around, be gentle, and respect everybody and... The fact that people don't pay attention to the traffic laws, they try to be courteous when they drive, they rely on these systems as opposed to doing their due diligence and making sure the vehicle's safe. If you get into the autonomous cars, yes, the car will drive itself and it operate itself, but it's still my job to look at the tires and make sure I have, you know, good tread on my tires. Will the car actually tell me if the tires are bald? And if it does, will the car stop driving itself until I put new tires on it? I very much doubt it, so...
2: According to the manufacturers, though, that's not your job anymore. They they don't want that to be your job anymore. They don't want anything to do with maintenance, anything to do with preventive maintenance, anything... They don't want you to even pop the hood on a new car anymore. You know that. It's It's amazing what they're trying to take out of our hands, and... I mean, they've, they've done an awful good job of taking it out of our hands because the, a normal human being can no longer diagnose a problem on their vehicle,
0: right? No, and you're, you're right, Sean. The manufacturers have taken a lot of the the maintenance issues and such out of the cars. I mean, BMWs, I don't think, have come with dipsticks on the engine or the transmission for years. Mercedes is the same way. Porsche. Uh, Por, Porsche uh, say my Porsche. The Porsches have been that way for many, many years. And you rely on a, you know, digital gauge on the dashboard, which when you get 10 or 15 years into owning the car, you find out they fail. <laughs> yeah. so, why why but, would that work forever, right? I say, you know, I've got a friend who just recently uh, acquired a, an M5. It was in his family. It's not like he went out and bought it, and he was aware this problem existed. But the the little indicator, the digital readout, doesn't work anymore. So he has no, Id- no way of checking the oil and such until he went out and bought a... An additional, uh, what do you call it? One of the OBD computers to plug into the OBD right. port, and so that he can go through and do all of this stuff, which was an inconvenience for the family member that had the car, and he'll live with it because he, he kind of likes having an M5. I mean, but, there's another said, way
2: to do that, right? It's called a drill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, not necessarily. But... Yeah. Might not be the right way. You, you drill a hole in the oil pan and you put uh, when the oil runs out, that's the proper level, and then you put a cork in it <laughs> while right. you're driving. It's perfect. So
2: I don't. I, what could possibly go wrong? Uh,
0: I want to say there's uh, something I used to own, and that's how you check the oil when you filled it so far, and you had to put your finger in, and when you felt the oil, uh, oh, I guess it's differential fluid, and a lot of differentials, it was yeah. that way when it was level yeah. level with the drain plug. Yep. Uh, see, I, I, I do work on cars every now and then and remember that stuff. That's awesome. So but it still goes back to okay, Tesla requires me to take my Tesla, requires their little vans to come out and check my Tesla, and okay, their technician says you need tires. That's no, I, I don't have five hundred dollars today for tires. Well, you need tires. Oh, I don't have five hundred dollars today for tires. What Happen. I'm. does the Tesla? Does i'm it? wondering
2: when tesla has the ability to make that recommendation based on you know whatever there's 330 seconds worth of tread left or you're below 330 seconds of tread left tesla says you need tires you say i can't afford to get them and then your tesla tech says well i can't let you drive the car until you get them and then he locks your car because he's made you aware He knows that you shouldn't be driving the car. He has the ability to Tesla has the ability to keep you from driving that car on unsafe tires. And if they don't do it, could they be held liable? Like that's that's how litigious our society is nowadays. Oh yeah, it's insane. It's the rabbit hole is so deep.
0: And that's that's kind of the question is who's at fault? Because we you know we're gonna go get into this kind of insurance thing where okay tesla tells you to put tires on the car you don't the car's reacting like the tire or the computer has been programmed in, in your in your simulation life you know the car's had all these simulations running with the tires at you know proper tread it'll react this way so the car goes to do something that it should but one of the tires is bald or one of the tires is slightly off or an air pressure sensors malfunctioning and the car goes to do a correct, which causes a spin and an accident, and God forgive me, a, a fatality. Who's it li- who's liable then? Is it me because I I didn't maintain the car? Or is it Tesla because somebody's going to get sued over this, and it's always going to be, oh, yeah. you know, it's always going to be me, and it's always going to be Tesla, and it's always going to be the insurance company, and you sue you sue er- any possible person that has a dollar bill in his wallet, you you sue in that that. Product. And you hope something sticks. And, and at some point, somebody's going to pay somebody, and uh, then everybody's insurance rates goes up again. So it, it's just, I guess, then now is where the conversation needs to really rotate back down to the personal responsibility in driving. As all these driver's aides are there, they're teaching, and the, the manufacturers are advertising that it's the irresponsibility of advertising, we're here to protect you from your irresponsibility or your distracted driving Fig, you know, to figure this out. So now we're back to the the to the to point where we probably need to discuss the, the proper driver education and the, the driver programs that are out there beyond what's offered at the schools. I had a, we'll say my nephew, when he turned 16 a few years ago, I believe he's a sophomore in college now, I highly encouraged him to participate in the uh, Sports Car Club of America Teen Driver Education Program. But I got a little bit of pushback from his mom that, oh, well, I don't want to teach him to race. He doesn't need to know how to race. Well, that's not the unfortunate thing. It's named Sports Car Club of America, and she thought it was going to be to teach him to race. You, you have even the Porsche Sport Driving School, or Bob Bondurant, or uh, Jim Russell, or Skip Barber, any of those programs. They're base programs, they're not about teaching you how to race. They're about teaching you car control. Those are things that the basics have been lost. I would even say that I'm a driver that doesn't have a 100% grasp on car control. I don't race on a track anymore. It's been years since I've had any sort of professional training. Sean, you do it all the time, so you're aware of it. I know you've instructed in these programs. You've instructed the SCCA, locally the SCCA driver education. What's your feeling on trying to educate on that?
2: every single young person in this country should go through some form of rigorous car control exercises we can make that engaging we can make that fun for these students it's not something where every time that i've ever taught a new driver car control clinic the younger kids that come out to these programs they show up they're you know typically it's it's an early morning start they're not happy to be there. By 10 o'clock, after we're done with our first classroom session, and we've been in the cars for you know, the first hour or so, by 10, 30 in the morning, they can't get enough of it. They soak it in like, you know, it's, it's, it's like a really young child learning a new language. They can learn it. But when that young child is 40 years old and they're trying to learn Spanish or German or whatever, it's tough. And the same can be said for any skill set that you want to teach. So I don't understand why we don't take the lead from Germany, Iceland, Holland. Look at almost any other country on the planet Earth, and their new driver training includes understeer-oversteer correction. It includes accident avoidance uh, lessons. It includes uh, you know dropping a wheel off the road and and pausing to correct that but you know not just jerking the wheel and trying to turn the thing back on the road and, and then you know overcorrecting and going too far it's, there's so many things that we don't teach that should be fundamental skills and now we have all of these driver assists that are being thrown into cars and then we've got legislators even that are saying because of these driver assists we don't even need to teach these skills anymore and there's no reason for us to teach the the younger generation these things and i at 47 years old having been involved in some form of motorsport since i was four years old i beg to differ i really i would rather go drive in germany or iceland or somewhere like that because every time i get on the road and i have driven all the way across this country and back multiple times i've been very fortunate to get to do that and you know, at, at the risk of upsetting people listening to the podcast, there are a lot of folks out there that terrify me <laughs> when they're on the road. And it's it's not their fault that they're terrifying me. They've never been taught how to properly drive well, you, and how to drive safely.
0: You, you use the big words in there, oversteer, understeer, correction. You say we need to teach this stuff in, in basic driver's ed. Do you realize we have cars that will parallel park themselves, and because they do that, we ah. don't even teach parallel parking. And that goes back—that ah. goes back twenty plus years. When I was in driver's ed, I passed. We had a twelve-week program; you could pass in six. I passed in six because the two girls in my car broke their legs skiing one weekend. So basically, I had driver's ed all to myself for a while. He passed me in six weeks, but at the very end of that final test, he goes, "Now I need you to do this." And he had me parallel park once, and he goes, "Well, I just thought you should parallel park once before I, I went ahead and told you you passed." And go, okay, uh, this is you know this is a skill set I've learned that I need. Yeah. I don't have a car that self parks itself right now. Right. Uh, we're gonna go- I'll go ahead and make a quick note here that we talked about. Technology and technology failing, and what happens if your drive-by-wire fails or your steering-by-wire fails? Derek's had some issues with uh, windows. The old joke: what happens? If windows gets in or goes into your car and it airs. You turn it off and turn it back on. That's why Derek's been quiet the last 20 minutes. I think he's rejoined us. And Derek, we've actually went from the technology now and talking about how the systems have. Dumb down driving to the, the absolute need for that driver's education if you want to jump in. <laughs> like...
1: I am never getting a self-driving car from any of the manufacturers of software for computers um, because, yeah, that was 20 minutes of completely missing out on the conversation. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm just going to go back to my 61 Falcon or my 17 Overland or something like that and just live a happy life
0: well Um, apple officially pulled out today of the self-driving car technology i read that headline again i thought that was a couple weeks ago but it was back out again today in the news
2: they pulled out of even the development of yep
0: they don't want to be involved really
1: yeah i I didn't
0: i didn't read the whole story i'm only reading a headline but then again i'm an american so that's all i do is read the headline
1: well but see there's there's another part of the problem though you know you just said you're you're an american so you just read the headline we're Americans are are getting pretty lazy, and they just want all of this assist stuff in their cars. Exactly. No, Sean, I I, I was going to comment on you know you you made the comment of uh you know hopefully not offending anyone. I don't remember how you exactly phrased it, but I think that's what uh we're we're here to do on this show. That's why we call it No Driving Gloves. Um, we we're gonna say what we believe, and I think this topic is uh one we are the three of us are are pretty passionate about, and worried about in the fact that it's going to lead to you know as you say some really scary situations on the road um again i I apologize if i'm talking about stuff you guys have already talked about but as you know as we've seen technology has its glitches and sometimes it ruins even podcasts
0: well sean you were talking about you know how the the kids and say the scca uh driver education program and the teen driver education experience. One thing I enjoyed about that is we finally did get that mom to agree to let her her son participate in it. And you not only teach the, the children, you put the the parents are put in the car. And in this case a mom who is and I'll bluntly say it, she is a horrible driver. She had no never had driving experience. She crashed regularly. She has become a much better driver because she was made to participate in that program. And you, you guys do it so that the parents can understand what you're teaching the student or the teenager so that the parent can help reinforce it or maybe spark something in there. Well, she actually learned from the program, too. I don't think it should be a program that's necessarily only available to... Teenagers, you know.
2: I don't either. I don't either. There there are plenty of corporations that actually will put their like, especially if they have company cars involved, they'll put their employees through a a certain or, or a similar course to what a teen driver car control course would be. And it's it's basically so they can get a little bit better insurance rate, but it's also keeping their maintenance down on their vehicles. They're not having as many wrecks. Um, you know, people are, are not getting in, in the wrecks that would actually send them to the hospital and take them out of work. Uh, it's there's so, many, there's so many repercussions to poor driver development, poor driver training in this country that we don't think about. And then John and I, we, we both live in Birmingham, Alabama, and I looked at some statistics that when I was uh, doing things regularly with the SCCA, the Sports Car Club of America's Teen Driver Clinic that we've been talking about. Alabama, I don't know where where they've been for the last year and a half, two years. But up until two years ago, Alabama had the fourth worst teen mortality rate for drivers in the country. And we had a very hard time finding anyone um, from – any, any branch of the government, any any legislator that would actually look at our program and say, you know what, you guys are doing something amazing. We need to find you some space for it. And I, I just I can't figure it out. I don't know what the disconnect is between keeping people safe on the roads. Or Everybody says they want to keep people safe on the roads, but then when it comes time to actually pull the trigger and step up and do something about it, you, it's very hard to find anybody in this country that really wants to.
1: I, I'm going to go back, Sean, and say that I, I really think it is because, it, especially on the, as you talk about, the political level of, of trying to support these things, it's because everyone in America looks at driving as just their a born right, that when they turn 16 or 18 or whatever it is, they're going to get to drive a car because it's America. For some reason that, you know, for someone to sit back and especially at the political level say, well, you know, that's not really a a right. It's a privilege and we need to really train you properly on how to do it or else you shouldn't get a license. It's just going to upset people in this country if we tell them, well, you know, you're a really bad driver. I think that's where it comes from. It comes from the mentality that, well, hey, you know, when I turned 16 or 18, I took a class at my high school for the summer. Now I get to go drive a car because I live in America and that's what we get to do. You know, and I think we need to change the mentality to, no, you have to understand how to use this vehicle and, and use this machine properly and safely because you can kill many, many, many people if you do something wrong in it. We need to accept that and and start changing that mentality. I don't know, you know, I don't know if that's ever going to change. Um, so politicians I don't, don't want actually... to get behind
2: it because if politi- if a politician gets behind it, it could cost him votes. That's basically exactly. what, what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah
1: I mean exactly.
2: It, yeah, it, it could cost him votes, but it's it, when they're not getting behind it, it's costing people lives.
1: Well, it, right go, it oh, goes I back. I completely agree. It goes back
0: to to money politician doesn't get his job doesn't get reelected etc it costs the state money to implement these harder harder or more difficult or more in-depth driver training programs it costs them money to to say funnel money to the SCCA to run this program at say the SCCA stepped up and did it but one thing that i've always thought and i bring this up a couple i've brought this up a many, over many years and i always get lambasted for it but as Derek says that's kind of why we named this podcast this way and this is probably one of our most heated discussions and no driving gloves is very appropriate here get a driver's license in Germany it's three thousand bucks thirty five hundred bucks to get a driver's license to get a driver's license mm-hmm. here it's twenty dollars twenty five bucks maybe it's a little bit right. more it's been a while there's no responsibility no accountability I go in I get my picture taken. I get a bitch because I stood in line for two hours to get my picture taken and get this card, which they shouldn't even bother with because I know how to drive a car. I've always been of the support or it should be three to five grand a year to have a driver's license. You should be forced to renew every year. You should have to take a test. Well, how do you pay for it with that three to five grand that that license costs? Now, all of a sudden, I get the argument but I don't make a lot of money. I don't have money. I can't afford $5,000 for a license or $3,000 for a license. Do you know what? We make it a tiered system. If you have an at-fault accident or two at-fault accidents in a 12-month period, it's $3,000. But if you got through that year without an at-fault accident, without any problems, it's $250 or $500. Which is a much more affordable level, but if you're out there and you're, as I said earlier, driving this missile down the road, you should at least have the responsibility enough to be able to pay two hundred and fifty dollars a year to operate this machine. It's part of part of life. Yes, I understand. If we had a better infrastructure, if we had, you know, better public transit, subways, bus systems, but we're in a day of Uber, so we. Every, every municipality really has its own transportation system so that's always a fact but you talk you talk 250 now we go back to what all these driver aids have added to the price of the car $200 you know $200 to get my backup camera $200 for my tire inflation system $500 600 to put airbags in this etc 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 the price of my cars went up $2000 over 5 years with a you know a three or four percent interest rate, I'm spending two hundred two hundred and fifty extra dollars a year to have these safety things to protect me from the idiot drivers. So it's kind of a you know, I'm sorry, we need to bill you more because the only thing Americans understand is money. And if we make driver's licenses twenty dollars, it's not an important thing. It's a oh, big deal. You know, it costs more to get a you know a large pizza from name your pizza establishment here. Uh, on a Friday night or it costs more for two drinks at the bar than it does to get a driver's license. So that's what people treat it as. If you charge them a a number that makes a difference to their lives, they're going to treat it more so as something that is important.
2: And you look anywhere else on the on the planet and you, you look at the state of the vehicles in, in states in this country that don't have a yearly inspection. Uh, I, I moved down to Alabama from an area in the country where we had a yearly inspection and you had to have certain things on your car. Like If you don't check everything out on a regular basis, at least once a year, you have to go into a shop and pay to have someone go over your car and make sure all your lights work and make sure that your tires have tread on them and make sure that you actually have brakes on the car and it's not you know metal to metal on, on your brakes and just basic safety, but if you tried to implement that in Alabama right now, you wouldn't be able to hear over the wailing and gnashing of teeth and crying for years. It it would never happen here. So we can't even get people to put tires on their cars when they need it, much less pay a couple grand for a license. I, I, it's The whole system is, is... The system's broken, but no one is ever going to step up to fix it.
0: I guess I totally agree with you, because... If I remember correctly, you came from Virginia. I came I came here from Virginia in the yearly inspections and you heard the same complaining every, every time, Oh, I gotta get my car inspected and all you know, at twenty or twenty five bucks a year and all they're gonna do is find something wrong with my car. You know what? I've I don't know if I ever failed an inspection because I checked to make sure all my headlights worked and all my taillights worked, and if I had tread on my tires. You drive down the street in Alabama here when it rains, people are sliding off the road all the time because of hydroplaning.
2: I have it's, never seen more cars s- just spinning in front of me on you, the highway
0: You can pull up to, here. You can pull up to a stoplight in Alabama, and I guarantee you if there's ten cars at that stoplight, three or four of them will have a burnout brake light, if not two burnout brake lights. Now, the funny thing is, I, I've actually asked a couple police officer friends of mine, they're actually not breaking the law. In Alabama, you're only required to have one functional taillight, which means one functional illuminating red light at night and one functional illuminating red brake light. You don't have to have any more. Well, um, my defense is I want to be able to go into the car dealership and then just buy a car with one taillight. I don't want to pay for the other two. You know, the center brake light and, uh, say, the right side one. I don't need that. Yeah, but you're that guy. Yeah, but... How am I supposed to then do a legal lane change to the right if my right taillights burn out or missing? Go around the world <laughs> to the left.
1: It's, hand signals. It, it, the, the, you could hand signal. He's right. Yeah. that's yeah. that's that's what we we did in the early days. Automobiles. Yep. Yeah. Put semaphores on it. Yeah.
0: I'm <laughs> I'm going to hand signal and somebody's going to tear it off as their, you know, what is it? Their lane lane tracking system, you know, yanks their vehicle back over. <laughs> because the guys want to rip
1: your arm off but you know here here's here's i'm gonna i'm gonna go on another tangent here which is going to take us way off i'm also of the belief that if if you have some type of failure like that if if i have a blinker go out if if my left blinker turn signal turn indicator whatever word you use for it if that goes out on my truck or one of or on my 61 falcon i can't say any of my other cars because they don't have turn signals I learned a long time ago how to hand signal because when you do not have functioning signals on your vehicle, how is someone supposed to know what you're doing? I have done it before where I've been in my Falcon and I had one of the, the, I think it was actually the left turn signal went out on me on the way home. I used the left hand turn signal with my arm to signal what I was doing when I was driving. Now, granted, a lot of people flipped me off and yelled at me because they thought I was doing the same thing to them because people don't understand that. No one but, had
2: any idea what you were doing. I'm gonna say, exactly. Two, two, Except for the two guys on a Harley that you passed. They're the only... Exactly.
1: Two, <laughs> two problems. But really. it, it goes back to that. It is. I think that's where we're failing in driver's education is a lot of the safety things that need to be covered as well in making sure that everyone understands what everyone is doing on the road.
0: According to the commercial, Tim Tebow couldn't even be taught to look in the mirror before backing out of a spot, and we want to teach him hand signals, and you know, it, it just just doesn't work.
2: The whole the whole system oh. is broken.
0: And if you, I don't know, a doubt. I know you don't drive new cars, Derek. I don't know if you've been in many new cars. If you've noticed, they've raised the window line up so high, you can't technically do a, a slower stop because you would have to lift up to put your shoulder over the window because the window's at eye level and it's above your shoulder i mean you can't technically you know huh. signal out of these things and go see typical no driving gloves podcast into podcast reference to
1: the beginning when we talked about camaros
2: i was gonna say, if you're yeah. in a new camaro it doesn't matter because you can't see
1: anything anyway exactly exactly but no, I, I want to go back because, you know, we've talked a little bit about other countries licensing and, you know, driver's training, stuff like that. And unless things have changed in the last year, as far as I know, the majority of the top winning.
2: You're going to finish world, rally, aren't you?
1: Exactly. The yeah, majority of go. the top, <laughs> top rally drivers in the world are Finnish
2: because they start teaching car control at 11 and 12 years old
1: exactly and take a look at their driver train driver's training course where to pass it they have to s- do a number of things but successfully control a car that's out of control going across a skid pad
2: yep yep so i have where have I, we gone I, wrong? hundreds of times thousands of times tens of thousands of times i have begged municipality leaders um sheriffs and anyone that's in charge of the collective fate of new drivers in whatever area of the country, I've begged them. They, municipalities have a budget to travel to look at programs that they could adopt or adapt into their municipality to better the community. There, there's a budget set forth in almost every municipality around this land to do that. And when I've gotten in front of any of these law enforcement agencies or city council people or whoever it may be, get on a plane and go to Finland. Get on a plane, go to Finland, look at their new driver development programs. Not racing programs, but their new driver, keep them safe, teach them young, look at it, and there's no reason why we can't implement it other than the fact that the status quo has just been that way forever and ever and ever. And now, I think, to the point of this whole program, to the point of this whole podcast, all of these driver assists that are leading up to autonomous vehicles are basically making the case to all of these municipalities that they don't need to worry about it anymore because we won't be driving in the future anyway.
0: We're going to kind of leave that as the conclusion, but <laughs> sorry, <laughs> no, sorry. it's a very, hey, no, it's, a, it, it's a very good wrap up of it. That, it is. I
1: think that's. it's the very succinct wrap-up of exactly what this conversation's about.
0: And my one of the things I've said is, while I hate the autonomous car, and like I said, Mario Andretti would rather be dead than have to have a car drive him around. It's the way we're going. It's the only way we're going to make it safe. And unfortunately for us car people, unless we get out, and make a difference. And unfortunately, we're a small a small podcast at this point, but maybe if we take off, people will listen to this episode. Unless we go out and make a difference, the only place we're going to be able to use our cars and drive our cars will be in controlled environments such as race tracks and maybe special days where we have to pull these parade permits to be able to go do our country drives that we like to do. And be able to use our cars and not have to get into these telephone booths and let them drive us point A to point B.
2: You want me to go ahead and blow both your minds before we end this? If if I could hop in a car and put it on autonomous and get from my house to Daytona and not have to worry about driving the car and then basically take back over once I got to the racetrack, that wouldn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> did, did brains explode right there?
0: But, no, Sean, you, you and I have talked about Recently, some ideas for autonomous driving and electric vehicles I don't want to get into because I like the idea and we'll eventually figure out why nobody's done it or somebody people. Right. <laughs> but I, I totally agree with you. When I get on a trip and I've got to drive 700 miles to go back and see my parents, that's the worst part of it. But if I, you know, that's why I enjoy train travel so much. To me, right. tra- to me, train travel is an autonomous car taking me a long distance. Yep, let's relax. I get in it. I got plenty of room to move around. I can look out the window. I can read. I get to see the scenery. I don't have to deal with an airport. Unfortunately, they don't put train, train stations in a good area of town, so there is no train station parking. But Uber will take care of that for me. If I can get into a car, and, you know, I'd go visit my parents this weekend. If I could get into the car Friday after work, let it drive me the 11 hours to their house. And get you know get up next morning and oh yeah I've got the whole weekend and then I could drive home Sunday and go home go to work on Monday morning. Yes, there is a place for autonomous driving, but for a da- daily drive, I-, I still I still would like to have a little bit of car control.
2: Yeah, around but, town I don't get it. So, up on the highway for a five hundred mile an hour drive, five hundred mile drive, yeah, so, all day.
1: There there are so many different avenues to travel down on, on what was just discussed because we could talk about how this could affect Uber, as John just brought up, you know, Uber can take you to the train station. But also I think there's there's a topic there on train travel in this country and the reason why more people aren't using that as essentially an autonomous source of travel, because if we look at some of the other countries around the world, like England and Germany and France, Spain, train travel is heavily used for what we are talking about with autonomous vehicles and driving 500, 600 miles. So, you know, there's, I think there's some disparity there as well between the European countries and what Americans believe in, you know, what they want in a mode of transportation.
2: It's changing generations old mindsets. That's the problem with what we're having in the United States, or in North America in general. You know, when I travel over to the UK or Germany or whatever, I I love getting on a 250-kilometer-an-hour train and going from Frankfurt to to Cologne. It's awesome.
0: And if you're on the East Coast, you're on the East Coast, train travels regular. I knew people that would get on a train in D.C. and go to New York for the day and come back, or you go up to Boston. And there, you know, there's been talks of you know cutting funding and stuff, and I don't want to get this too far into the trains, but it's actually, it's and it's a it's a lifestyle on the East Coast. It just doesn't exist any anywhere else. My mother does vacations quite often out west, Alaska, the the Northwest, and they base their travel around trains. And we've all seen the Facebook memes and stuff. You can travel cross country on an Amtrak for two hundred bucks, et cetera. But we'll save trains for another episode. We've really i think discussed driver education in this country, which again is not where we wanted to go, but that's the way no driving gloves works. We come up with a topic. we bash it around and come up with I hope a meaningful conversation at the end. We <laughs> did touch if I
2: derailed you, I apologize.
0: It doesn't matter if you derailed us. You gave us a good show and the driver's aids help lead to this, and I think we've we've pointed out that while they're nice, they we, we do need the driver education in the country. So we're to the point of the show now. That does anybody have any recommendations or interesting websites, things that they saw, events coming up? Derek, you got anything you want to talk about? Plug something.
1: You know? Um, I mean, throw out that uh, this past well, last Monday, seeing this drops on Monday had a fantastic opportunity to see the uh, solar eclipse totality had a blast with that a lot of people in this area of kentucky and that was that was fantastic so in seven years when there's another solar eclipse i'd highly encourage people to witness it because it's it's something um, especially if you can see totality other than that i think i promoted last on our last one uh, old car festival up at greenfield village coming up the second weekend in september and i guess after this uh episode we talked about uh, maybe we should recommend that people send their children to um, finland for driver's education (laughs) yes absolutely (laughs) well
0: definitely contact your local scca or uh if you've got a racetrack in the area or something contact them and see if there's any driver program that you can put your your child in it's the best money you'll ever spend and it's not going to teach him to be a race car driver it's going to teach him to be a safer driver
2: even if it is a race school, it's going to teach them to be a safer driver. Because they're, it, the biggest thing that you could ever teach anyone regarding either driving safely or high-performance driving is situational awareness and get your eyes up and look where you want the vehicle to go. That's just the way a human being's wired. Our hands and feet follow our eyes. If our eyes can't see what's happening in front of us, then our hands and feet don't know what to do, and that's when people get involved in accidents, so... Absolutely. Find a program in your area, whether it be Sports Car Club of America, whether it be a brakes program. I believe it's Doug Herbert that has a brakes program in conjunction with Kia that travels all over the country. They're, they're out there. There are ways to get your kids involved in these things and keep them safer behind the wheel. And all of us are better for it. We're we're much better off having these these young drivers trained, and then hopefully they'll they'll teach their kids, they'll send their t- kids to the same program because they'll know by the time they get you know from sixteen to thirty, they're gonna realize that that program actually did help them. It meant something to them, uh, and that's what we need. We need an entire generation to go through one of these programs, and then that's a catalyst to to better things. I think.
0: Well, Sean, did you have anything to plug or discuss or mention?
2: Matt, just thank you for bringing me on. Um, uh, If anybody uh, is local in the Birmingham, Alabama area, uh, I do have the Zero to 60 show with Andrew Pinkerton. Uh, He's my co-host on that. We're on APH Radio in Birmingham, Alabama, and there's an app uh, for APH Radio. So if you're listening anywhere else in the world, you can grab the APH Radio app and listen to Zero to to 60 live from 9 to 11 every Saturday. Um, Other than that, It's time to go play with cars. Alex and Beyond Nationals is coming up. It's up at National Trail Raceway in Ohio, and it's a bunch of Mopars. It's a giant uh, car show and drag race, and I'm taking my scat pack up there, and we're making some quarter-mile passes because it's time to play with cars.
0: What's the uh, actual frequency I need to tune to for APH Radio if I'm local to Birmingham, and when is your show on?
2: on. 99.9, and it's Saturday mornings from 9 to 11 Central.
0: And I think if you go through their archives, I, Sean's had me on that show a few times and kind of... Oh, dis- you're in there. Yeah, I, I, I discuss certain things. And you're in there. I'm trying to think this week, is there anything that I want to plug? Not... say I, I've spent, I spend most of my time either working or listening to podcasts, and I really hate recommending another podcast. We'll go ahead and sign off for this week, and we'll talk to you guys again in another seven days or so. Thank you.